Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. And say, uh, add my voice and say, welcome to Northbridge Church, whether you're here in this room or you're online watching us, uh, joining in with us, welcome. Uh, you know, I'm tracking, Pastor John, I'm tracking the song the first time. Uh, after it was over, I heard a lot of talk, a lot of chuckles. Uh, people were intrigued and interested. Last week it diminished, but it was still there. Today, just dead silence. So we might be seeing the demise of the bumper video, uh, even though we have a couple more weeks to go with our state positive theme. Um, I was in, in preparation for today as we we're talking about three things that we need to be building our confidence on. I was thinking back about times in my life when I had really low confidence uh, in my life. W- one of the thoughts that I had, one of the times that came to my mind was probably about nine years ago when, when Pastor uh, Mike began to kind of just have an unsettled spirit where he was beginning to realize that his time as lead pastor was coming to an end here, not because anything bad was happening in his life, not because anything bad was happening within the church. Matter of fact, all was going well in both fronts, but he just sensed God was calling him to new challenges and new things. And we began, Pastor Mike, Pastor John, and myself began a time of of sincere and deep prayer uh, at that time, Pastor Dave was here, but he was not one of our pastors yet, was not one of our pastor elders, so, so he wasn't in on those conversations. But we began just praying about what would happen and what the future would look like. And we spent probably about three months of time uh, praying. We would pray on our own. We'd pray together. We would have just conversations. Sometimes we'd have conversations one-on-one. Sometimes we'd have conversations, the three of us, just saying, and basically the the subject, the central theme was, what is God up to in our lives? What is God up to in our church? Well, fast forward through all those conversations, and ultimately there was a conversation that that Mike and I had together over the phone on on a Wednesday evening, if memory serves, in which he was saying, this is going to happen. I am definitely going to be moving on, and uh, I am definitely taking this position. This position at Willard School District is definitely going to be offered to me, and I am definitely going to take it. Uh, What you do, Tony, is up to you. What you do and what you need to decide to do is between you and the Lord and between you and your family, but I am definitely going to need to move on. And uh, at that time, I had an incredible bout of insecurity hit me. Right then, in that very moment, uh, wondering, thinking in my life, I've never, I've never been a lead pastor. It's different to, it's different to pastor on a team with people, but now I am the, the leader or the captain of this team. I, I don't think I'm ready. I don't know that I'm ready. And in those moments of insecurity, I, I really considered strongly punting and just saying, well, I'm not going to do it. Maybe we need to find a, a third guy. Maybe John needs to be the leader. And uh, what I did, though, in that moment, uh, I did something incredibly wise, and that was I talked to two people who were near and dear to me in my life. I talked to my wife, obviously, and asked for her feedback, asked for her input, asked for her insight, 
And I talked to my dear friend, Pastor John, also, and said, you know, and, and, and with both people, I was very honest. I let my insecurity fly and just shared all the fears, all the concerns I had, all of the doubts about myself and my ministry. And, uh, and I remember my wife shared some things, telling me that surmounted to basically pick myself up and step forward because this is what I was made for. And Pastor John, uh, not with the two of them not colluding on their own, basically said the same things. Pastor John, at one point when I just said, John, I, I, over the phone, I remember this conversation very well, John. I don't know if you remember it. But uh, over the phone, I said, John, I just, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. Do you think it might be wise just to, just to forego, just for me, just to step, just to continue to do what I'm doing and working at Victory Mission? And John was just silent for a moment and basically said to me, Tony, if you don't step forward on this, you're a fool and you're an idiot. Very spiritual words, John, very spiritual words. But I heard the message very near and dear, very clearly from both Pastor John and my wife as they told me and that they had confidence in me. Even if I did not feel the security, if I had the insecurity running through my life, they had the confidence. And that was enough for me to take that first step forward of just saying, here I am, here I am. I'll, I'll step forward. I'll do this if so called. Um, what, why am I sharing this story to you? Because I, I realize that all of us in this room, we all have insecurities. If you say you don't have any insecurities, you're either a fool and totally have no self-awareness, or you're a liar, one of the two, because the reality is all of us have insecurities. They might be profound insecurities that, that hit deeply at the center of who you are, about can you be loved, are you lovable, are you worthy, are you uh, worth uh, have any kind of intrinsic value, or they could be small insecurities that other people would laugh at, you know, the, the size of your nose or the color of your hair, the size of your feet, uh, how you pronounce a word or how you, how you write. There could be all types of insecurities out there, but the reality is we all have them. We all have confidence issues. And here's the reason. It's easy for some of us to laugh at our insecurities and to just kind of laugh them off. But the thing about insecurity is they keep us in the shadows. You know, our insecurities are nagging at us and it keeps us, they keep us from living our very best lives. Ultimately, I've seen this insecurity will draw you and I into self-sabotaging our careers and our relationships. Uh, just just recently, there was a person who uh, I had relationship with, I had uh, encounters with, who was really wanting to step forward in their life, and they were and they were stepping forward. They were making positive a positive difference in their life, in the world around them. They were taking ownership of their life. They were stepping forward in uh, connecting with people, and. Uh, for just reasons that you, that someone might look at and just say, They're cr that's crazy, that's crazy what happened. But for reasons, I believe that they had such deep insecurities in their life. What did they do? They self-sabotaged everything around them so that they blew up all of their relationships that they were making. They backed away from all of the decisions that they had made that were positive. 
What were they doing? They were self-sabotaging because their insecurity was so deep, they were afraid that something was going to blow up in their lives. Now, before we go on any further in this time, I want to make it very clear, this is not a sermon about building your self-confidence, okay? If you want that, you can go to the television, and there's several pastors, mainly for whatever reason, out of Houston or out of Dallas, it seems like. That's where they're attracted to. There's plenty of pastors that will teach you that you can do it and that you, you are, you are the, the image of God and, and everything that you touch will be success if you just name it and claim it or if you just, you know, you know glab it and grab it. I don't know uh, what exactly, but if you, if you, there's a lot of pastors out there that will talk a lot about self-confidence. That is not what this time is about. Matter of fact, I would argue that this, that is the last thing that you need to develop in your life. The last thing you need to lean into is having a greater sense of self. Why? Well, if you look at Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah proclaims that the heart is deceitful and wicked. How can anyone but God know what is inside the heart? So he tells us that we can't even trust our own hearts. Paul in Romans chapter 7, he talks about how in his own life, he was so inconsistent in his actions that the things he wanted to do, he didn't do. And the things that he didn't want to do, he found himself to keep on doing it. And he said, who, where can I find hope and where can I find confidence in? You see, both Jeremiah and Paul were people that said, we can't really lean deeper into ourselves. But where then, if we can't have confidence in ourselves, where can we place our confidence in? That's where we go today. The psalmist in 57, Psalm 57, verse 7, he writes, My heart is confident in you, in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. I would posit to you today that we do not need to have greater self-confidence in life, but we need to have greater God-confidence in the world around us and what is going on today. Three things. There are three things, three statements I want to talk about in this moment to help us build our heart, to build our mind so that we would have greater God confidence in our lives. And without any further ado, let's just plunge right into them. The first thing is this. My God is always for me. Own that statement. Write that statement down. My God is always for me. This is not just a statement for myself. This is a statement for you as well because it is an eternal truth that God is for you. You realize that? Now, let's not, because you know, some of you, I see you got your, your study faces on. You got your class faces on where you're taking in information. Get away from that. Make this very personal right now. Do you realize that God, when he is looking at you, he is for you? He is for you. That is a radical thought because many of us grew up in homes and in churches that taught that God was not for us, but that God was out to get you. Or at the very least, he was trying to catch you in your wrong, right? That God was trying to, to catch you in doing something wrong. He was looking around the corner. He was watching you and just waiting for you to mess up in some profound way. That he is trying to catch us in the middle of our sin and show us how wicked and how terrible we are. And hear me clearly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we don't have sin issues at all. I mean, you hear that from this pulpit, a steady stream. The gospel is that in our wickedness and our depravity and our sin, God rescued us. Jesus died on a cross 
not to rescue people that were healthy and whole, but to rescue people who were broken and fractured and sinful. I'm not saying that we don't have sin issues, but I'm saying that God, in the midst of our sin, God is for you and God is for me. Why can I make this profound thought? Because I have gone to the school of uh, theology where I've learned more theology from parenting than from a book. And I know that this word declares that God is my heavenly father. He is not a wicked step-parent that is written about in a, in a Disney tale or a Netflix original. Uh, he is our heavenly father. And so as our heavenly father, how does he treat his kids? Well, the question I ask is, how do you treat your kids? Do you enjoy punishing them? Do you, or do you want to bless them? Do you enjoy propelling them to success? Or do you like to see them stymied and faltering and living in your basement for the rest of your life? You see, if, if that's who you are, if you pr prefer to watch your kid be punished, if you prefer to watch your kid failing, if you prefer to watch your kid miserable, you are a wicked parent. You are a terrible parent, right? The good parents are the ones that want to propel their kids to success. The good parent is the one who watches and loves watching their child, their little boy, their little girl do great things. And that is the kind of father we have. God enjoys enjoys watching us succeed. He enjoys watching us be a blessing to the world. Uh, I remember, and I just, one verse I go to uh, often to remind myself about the nature of God is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And in here, Paul is describing the very nature of our relationship with God. And he says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What are these things he's talking about? He's talking about the gospel in Romans 8, Romans 7, Romans 6. He says this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? That question there, if God is for us, is assuming something. And it, what it's assuming is God indeed is for us. God is for us. God gives his stamp of approval over us. The writer in Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 35, tells us, writes to us, and he says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. He's saying to us, don't throw away the confidence that you have in your relationship with God. And what else does he reveal in, in verse 35? That there is a great reward that you have in your relationship with God. I would argue that great reward that we have with God is the fact that we know he is for us. So know this, God is not trying to catch you. He is trying to compel you. What is he trying to compel you to? He is trying to compel you so that you can propel your life further and into greater areas. Because why? We know we can do the things set before us. Why? Not because we have the strength, not because we have the wisdom, not because we have the resources at our fingertips to, uh, to do great things, but because we have a God who is there with us through every step, through everything, and he is cheering for us. He is always for us. So know this today. My God is always for me. 
Wherever you find yourself, you go to work tomorrow and you have a pink slip waiting for you at your table. You open up your email only to find that your email has been locked because your company says you are no longer employed here. Your God is for you. You have an automobile accident tomorrow, a fender bender, and now you're thinking, great, I just got to deal with this thing. God is for you. You have an argument with your husband or your wife. God is for you. You have an issue with your kids. You can say, my God is always for me. No matter what kind of circumstance I'm fighting with, no matter what I'm dealing with. But not only do we have this to look towards and this this idea that God is always for me uh, to give confidence in, in the God who is at our side, who is before us and among us. A second thought I have for you, not only does my God, my God is always for me, but this truth is also, is also in front of us as well. And that is my God always helps me. You realize that, don't you? That the God who is for us also gives us the help that we need to make each day happen, right? Whatever problem you are facing, God is there to help you. Hebrews 13, we flip over just a few verses to a verse, or a few chapters to chapter 13, verse 5 says, uh, Hebrew, or let's see here, I think I might, have, I might actually have the wrong passage in front of you. Oh, here we go. Uh, verse 6, or starting verse 5. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you, declares the Lord. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What can mere people do to me? If you want to know what was going on there, I looked down and I happened to look at chapter 12, verse 5, and I realized, uh, we got the wrong thing, but I was looking in the wrong chapter right then. God is saying to us, I'm never going to fail you. I'm never going to abandon you. Why? Because we know with confidence that he is our helper. He is our helper. So here's a question I have for you. Not trying to be preachy or just run through this like a machine gun of thoughts like bullets on a bandolier. But I want to stop for a second and just ask you, where do you feel insecure? Where do you feel insecure? Where do you need help in your life? Perhaps you need help in finances. You find yourself... Let's take a different track. Normally when I talk about finances, I'm preaching those people who are living trying to make money be their God and they're trying to make money give them the, the, the blessing that they're looking for, only that God can fulfill. And I talk about those people who overly spend and buy stuff and buy stuff because they're hoping material things will, uh, will make them satisfied in life. You know, and then what do you do? You end up in deep debt. And so we always talk about those people. But let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the Pharisees, okay? And this, truth, truthfully, could be a person like I am. And that is, okay, so you're a person with, that you, uh, you also value money greatly. And so what do you do? You save it. You save it and save it and save it. And you're always a wise steward and you're good with your money because you're always saving for that rainy day. Hear me clearly, that's a wise practice. That's a practice I do. But here's where we can back end into a bad problem. And that is when the money begins to, to tell us and determine if we can be blessed or we can be a blessing to other people. 
We can't take that vacation because after all, we got to save that money. We can't, we can't uh, give, give something, a, a treat to our kids because why? Well, we got to save that money. And that, what happens is what's in our bank account becomes our God. It gives us all our security. Well, well, you know what? We might need help with that. We might find ourselves, you find yourself in a place where you're allowing your money or your possessions to dictate what you think or how you observe the world. And you know this is wrong, but you just don't know how to break out of it. Have you ever thought about asking for help from God in that area? You find yourself right now in a conflict at work and you don't know the right situation. You don't know what side to take. You don't know what to say or what to do. Have you ever thought about asking God for help? You uh, are in the middle of a marriage conflict. You honestly, as you lay your head on your pillow at night, you don't know if your marriage is going to make it one more day and you don't know where to turn. You don't know what what psychologist or counselor you could go to. You don't know who to trust uh, as far as giving you input on your marriage. Have you ever thought about reaching out to God? You have an incredible medical emergency, a medical problem that could, that could end your life. Have you ever thought about asking him to help? There is no doubt. We are in a challenging time. I've said this before, and, and truthfully, if I allow it, I could use this time and this sacred time, this sacred space, to throw a pity party for pastors. And I could tell you of how, you know, I've never, 20 plus years of ministry, I never personally knew a pastor to take their life. And in the last six months, I've known of three either pastors or spouses of pastors who've committed suicide in the last six months. I can't tell you how many pastors I've known that have taken early retirement or they're taking a reassignment and, and stepping down from being a lead pastor because it is one of the most challenging times. It is definitely one of the hardest times in the last hundred years to pastor. And it'd be easy for me to, to tell you those things, to, to get you to give me a few moments of solace and a few moments to pat me on the back and tell me it'll be okay and everything's good and, you know, and there you go. But here's the reality. The reality is also it is not only the most challenging time to pastor, but teachers. I look at what you're doing now in this season and I go, wow, how many teachers by a show of hands signed up for the challenges you have in the classroom today, Right? I don't see that, do I? It is a recognition that I realize that this is one of the most challenging time for you teachers. I think of physicians and how many physicians have signed up, signed up for what's in front of them right now, working harder and longer hours for less pay than they did 10 years ago, working in a position where they could potentially get infected and die. And many physicians over the last several months have died. Uh, worldwide because of being exposed to this global pandemic. This is the most challenging time for, for, for physicians. I think of police officers as we experienced 9-11 this year and, or this past week. And, and it just amazed me. I'm like, holy cow. Isn't it amazing that just 19 years ago or so, we put first responders, whether they be police officers, firemen, uh, ambulance workers, those first responders, we put them on a pedestal. Remember how those men and women rushed into burning buildings to try to save people's lives that they didn't know. 
And we looked at them and we said, there is no one like them in society. And today, right before I walk up on the stage, I get a Chiron or a, a graphic on my phone from a news agency reporting how there are people protesting a hospital in Los Angeles because doctors are trying to save police officers that were shot in an ambush. And these protesters are saying we should let officers die. Wow. Wow. This is the hardest time for our cops to be working, isn't it? It's hard for them. I think of fast food workers. And I think of the world that they live in today. And we could make the argument that if you're even putting hamburgers in a Happy Meal at McDonald's, this is the hardest season for them. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say every profession, whatever the profession is, whatever it is you're doing, we are living in a hard time, a challenging time. And in the midst of that challenge, have you ever thought to invite God's presence? No, not to wave a magic wand over it and fix it miraculously so that you never have to struggle, you never have to, to, to have pain again in your workplace, but to, but to invite God into your life so that you can say what King David said in Psalm 46, chapter 1, when he said, God is my refuge and my strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Have you ever considered inviting God and his presence into the middle of your trouble, of your travail. Well, not only is my God for me, not only does my God help me, but the third thing I can say is this, my God is still working in me. That's the third phrase that gives me hope and a third phrase that builds my confidence in exactly who he is. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 reminds us and states to us, he says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Here, truth be told, how many of us are frustrated because we're still dealing with the same things in our life that make us fall? We're still dealing with the same frustrations that cause us to stumble. We're still fighting the same sins that maybe we fought a decade ago. And many times we're still feeling like we are losing the battle. Well, what you need to do, if that's you, and the reality is I believe that's all of us. I know we're, we're, we're kind of isolated. We got, we got some room, some space amongst us. If you're by yourself, find someone, at least connect with them and with their eyes. I'm not saying go right up to them, but look at someone near you and just say, God is not done with me. Just say that right now. I want to hear it. Here, are you doing it, Cliff? Cliff, have you done it yet? Have you had a chance to say that to someone? Okay, now if you said that to someone, that's someone. I want you to look at them and I want you to say this. I want you to say, thank God for that, right? Because that's what the message we need here. God is not done with me yet. And then thank God he's not done with me yet, right? That is the reality for all of us. God, the reality is this. God is more patient with you than you are with you. Do you realize that? You're frustrated with your step forward. You're frustrated with your, your forward momentum. You're frustrated with your maturity. You're frustrated. You think you should be further along in the road, and, and maybe you should be. But the good news is you are more frustrated with your growth than God is. 
God is always with you. He is still working on you. And this scripture in Philippians declares, he will always be working with you. You know that your job, God's job is done with you. Guess what? When you're in heaven, when you're in heaven, when you are away from this mortal coil, then you know that God is done working in you and you are complete at work. He will not quit you, friend. A parent might quit you. A mate might quit you. Your kids might quit you. A coworker might quit you. The neighbors might stay away from you. Your friends might quit inviting you to parties. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So, what does this mean for us? Too often, you and I, we try to seek our approval We try to find our confidence in what the world thinks about us. We do this through acclamations. If I just study harder and get more education, then the world will say I've achieved. If I just win one more uh, work award and get one more prize or get one more thing, then the world will finally say that I've made it. and And if the world says it enough, then I'll start believing it. If I just go on one more trip or if I get one more dollar in my bank account, then I have finally arrived. For some of us, some of us mamas, if I just have one more child, one more attempt, one more attempt to get perfection in my family, then I will have arrived. If my kids just get one more award or just get one more grade and people talk about what, how beautiful and how great my children are, then I will finally have confidence in myself. So friends, stop seeking approval and confidence in what the world thinks about you. But instead, I just close with this question. How would life be different if you got your approval, if you got your confidence, not in something that you accomplished in the past or what you bring to the table currently or what your potential could be in the future, but if we got our approval and if we got our confidence in the person and the work of our Father in heaven, think on what life could be like. Hey, in this reality, what I want to do is just spend a few moments worshiping together as we recognize that, yes, indeed, our God is always for us. Yes, indeed, our God will always help us. Yes, indeed, our God is still working in us. Those statements alone are worthy of us celebrating God, worthy of us worshiping the living God. And so in this moment, I'm going to pray And then we're going to take this pulpit away and we're going to invite the band to come up and we're going to sing a couple of songs together. I would invite you to take the things that you've heard today and apply them to the songs that we sing and let's worship together as we conclude our time together. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we realize your word tells us that you are for us. You are our heavenly father. That means you are the perfect dad. God, I understand that there's people in this room who their dads were far from perfect. And to the point of where sometimes it might even hinder how we believe and what we think about you. Oh God, help us to put those images aside and worship you and understand you as the perfect father, as the father that our dads never could attain to. And may we trust in you, Lord. God, we look to you knowing you are still working in us. You are here to help us. You are here to do a work in our lives to make us different people. And so we just say we trust you now. And God, with that in mind, we worship you in spirit and truth right now. 
These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.